All right, got a couple of hard things for you to think about this morning. First one, take a moment to think about when someone has wronged you, all right? It's not a fun thing to think about, but take a moment and just let the Holy Spirit cause you to think about someone who has wronged you. Now this gets a little bit harder. How about a time when you've wronged someone? The Holy Spirit, just bring that to your mind, a time when you have wronged someone. A third one is, how about this, a time when you were mediating or advocating for people who are in in conflict. So we've got all three of these things, right? We have been wronged at times. We have wronged others. And sometimes we're called to be in the midst of people reconciling or people dealing with conflict. And our passage today actually has all three of those things in it. That's what's really uh, fascinating about this, this book. And it's my prayer today that we're going to leave here remembering that the gospel reconciles us with God, but then gives us a clear picture of what that looks like to reconcile with one another in the real world. And so I hope that we're going to leave here today seeing these three things, that you'll grab on to these three things, that when someone has wronged you, that you'll remember the grace and mercy and the wonderful gift of reconciliation that God has shown you so that you'll extend that to others. And then I'm also praying that when you have been wronged by someone, you will initiate reconciliation regardless of the consequences and trust the grace and mercy of, that the grace and mercy of God will be extended to you when you go and try to reconcile with someone you've wronged. And it's also my prayer that when you mediate or when you find yourself in a place of trying to help people that are uh, dealing with something where, where they have a need for reconciliation, that you'll remind all parties of the gospel that you'll be pointing people to the wonderful gift of being reconciled with God and each other, that it's it's an amazing gift that God gives us. And that we'll leave here remembering that the gospel should impact all areas of my life, all the relationships of my life. That I don't get to have a few that the gospel doesn't impact. And so that I'd be thinking through, how does the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for me, impact how I interact with everyone everyone around me, not just a select few, but it should impact how I interact with everyone. Okay, so with that as our backdrop, I hope I have your attention now, and I hope you'll stick with me. Let me just give you a little bit of a picture of this book. Paul is in prison, so that's important. Paul himself is being confined and can't do whatever he just wants to do. He's in prison. And what he's doing is he's sending Onesimus, and here's the three names you have to remember, Paul in prison is sending Onesimus with a letter to the church at Colossae and a second letter to a man named Philemon. So he's, he's the one bringing the letters. And Paul is asking Onesimus to take this letter to the church at Colossae and to give one to Philemon. Philemon actually was Onesimus's master. Philemon had become a believer through the ministry of Paul. Now, just look how God does this. Now, just stop for a minute and, and see this picture. Paul leads Philemon to Christ, and Philemon begins to grow in his faith and becomes a close friend of Paul's. Paul leaves that church, and then he gets arrested and finds himself in prison. And while he's in prison, the man named Onesimus, who had been a slave of Philemon's, who had stolen from Philemon and had run away, and now Paul, in prison, in a different location, meets this man. You talk about God's sovereign hand at work. And God brings this man Onesimus into Paul's sphere of influence, and he becomes a Christian. 
And now Paul is sitting there with, I got a friend back here named Philemon, who's a follower of Christ and is the leader of a church back here in Colossae. And I've got this man Onesimus who has stolen from him and had been a slave and had run away. And what's going to happen here is Paul is going to ask slash tell Philemon to receive this man back as a brother in Christ. Paul is sending Onesimus back to be reconciled with Philemon. And he's telling Philemon, I want you to receive him as a brother in Christ. Now, this is really important to understand the concept of this, all right? We're living 2,000 years later where we have a a long history of understanding the, the evils of slavery. But you got a picture back in this context. There was no history that slavery was a problem. Christianity, the faith of of, of the Judeo-Christian worldview that says all people are created in the image of God, even though we failed a lot over the last 2,000 years on that, there was no concept of that at this time. There were 60 million slaves in Rome, and there was no moral problem with that in the, in the minds of people. And so in that context where this was just a norm of how things were done, you've got this radically new perspective This radically new vision where Paul is undermining all of that by saying to Philemon, Onesimus is now your brother. He doesn't belong to you. This is inconceivable to think like that when this man is your brother in Christ. And so it's important that we have that as the backdrop. It is so interesting when you think about um, the New Testament and the Bible sometimes, and you think about the 2,000 years of history that we have that have built on some things, and there's been all that up and down that comes with it, right? But to think that none of this teaching existed before that. And so this kind of conduct was just common. And now this new perspective that people are equal in Christ, created in the image of God, brothers now. And Paul is bringing this to bear, and it's it's going to start to undermine All of the Roman civilization, actually, and that's why the church got so persecuted in the first few centuries, because they were teaching this that turned everything upside down. Okay, so you have to have that as a backdrop, that here's these two men living in a culture where this was totally accepted, there was no moral conflict in their thinking, there were slaves and free, there were those who owned and were slave masters and those who were slaves, A lot of different ways a person got into slavery at that time. We won't get into all of that. It was different than what we have experienced in our country. But there's a lot of ways that they got into it. But they were into it and they were still masters and slave owners and slaves. And Paul has this radical new perspective. And this is what it's going to look like. All right? So that's our backdrop. Track with me now as we work our way through it. This is what happens at the beginning. Paul says... I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, are writing this letter. Paul starts the letter, this is uh, verse 1, starts the letter by reminding them that he is in prison. He himself is not free to come and go as he would like. And so prisoners and slaves had this in common, that they were confined and weren't able to just do whatever they wanted to do and have freedom. And then he says who he's writing to, verse, uh, he says to Philemon, our beloved worker, and fellow worker. This is a great picture. Verse one, the end of verse one and verse two. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphra, our sister, and Acrobus, our fellow soldier, the church in your house. Now, this is why I want us to slow down, because we read these things so fast and we don't hear what they're really saying. Paul declares two things about Philemon. 
He's a beloved fellow worker. He looks at this man, this man that he led to Christ and discipled a little bit before he left the church in his hands. And, and he's got this love for him. You see, that's the amazing thing about the gospel. You don't have to know somebody for a long, 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 long time. Because there's a connection that comes through the spirit of Christ. And he calls him a beloved fellow worker. This is a man that he cares for and loves deeply. And not only does he love him, but he says, we're, we're working together. We're working side by side. This is someone that Paul loves and has deep, deep care for. And they have a relationship, a relationship of love and care and respect. And it's a beautiful picture. When you see the pictures that are, are, are portrayed for us in the gospel, you see these relationships. And you see that they're not without problems and struggle, but there is a love for one another. And they were fellow workers, and they cared for one another in a deep way because they were sojourners together. They were going through this world and this life, and they were following Jesus, and there was nobody else really following Jesus, and so they were holding on to each other. And they had a deep connection and fellowship as they worked together and were fellow workers for the gospel. And then he's talking to Philemon's wife and son. That's, that's the next two characters in here. And he calls them fellow soldiers. That they're working together against a common enemy. Please don't forget this. We do have a common enemy, but we sometimes misunderstand who that enemy is. It is not culture. It is not ideas. It is not politics. There is an enemy that wants to destroy people. His name is the devil. And he wants to destroy and kill people. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of what Paul is saying here, that these fellow soldiers were coming alongside him trying to rescue people from destruction. You see, all the other things are, are clatter out there and, and noise that keep us distracted from saying people are heading for destruction and choices and decisions that we make are bad for us and, and, and they're causing some people to head to an eternal destruction and other people to live in destruction right now. And the good news of the gospel is there's hope. The good news of the gospel is that fellow soldiers are going around trying to grab people back. That's what I love about the gospel. I'm not out here trying to bash people. I'm out here trying to grab people back from destruction. Because you know what? I've been around long enough now to see a lot of destruction. And it doesn't take much just to, to peek on the internet to walk down the street, to have a conversation, to know that there's a lot of destruction out there and there's good news. And the reason I do what I do, the reason I want to see this church do what we do is two things. One is to bring glory to God and two is the salvation and restoration of people's souls. Human beings created in the image of God. Rescuing them back from an enemy that wants to destroy them. And to see their eternal destinies change and the restoration of their souls. And God is glorified when that happens. I got to tell you a story real quick. I didn't ask for permission, but I'm sure he's fine with it. Our youth pastor got to pray last Wednesday night man, with three junior hires to receive Christ. I mean, that's what we're all about. That's why we're doing this. And, and he did it in such a way that it was like not this like emotional, everybody. it was like, hey, if you want to stay after I dismiss everybody to small group and talk about receiving Jesus. So he did it in a real low-key way, and three students sat, and he sat down and he talked in depth with each one individually about why, what they were thinking and why they wanted to do this, and they came to faith in Christ. That's good news. 
That's why we do what we do. Three souls rescued back. Fellow workers working together. And so Paul says, listen, I'm a prisoner for Christ. I'm here with my brother Timothy. I'm talking to you, Philemon, and your wife and your son who are fellow workers, and we're in this together. And then he says this to them, grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, listen, I want to remind you that there is grace and peace. Listen to this now. If you're looking for grace and peace, it's coming from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is no just like platitudes and just stuff that we say. This is real. There is real grace There is real peace, and it comes from God alone, and it comes through Jesus Christ. And this grace and peace is no small thing, because they're granted to us by God and through Christ. And if you're struggling with peace right now, and if you're looking for unmerited favor in your life, that's what grace is, free favor. He's offering that to you through God and through Jesus Christ. God the Father wants you to have peace. God, your creator, wants you to experience grace. And so when we read these things, we can read them so fast, but he's saying to them, grace to you, peace to you from God. I'm not just saying this. I'm saying real grace, real peace from the real God through the real son, Jesus Christ. And he says, that's what I want you to experience. And then he says this in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. He says, I pray for you, and when I do, I'm thankful to God for you. Why? Verse 5. See how this all logically fits together when we read it slow enough. Why? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He says, I've heard of how you love And that you have a love for Christ and you have a love for others. And so I'm thankful for you, he says. I remember you in my prayers and I am thankful because I've heard of your love. I've heard of your faith. And this is the evidence of your conversion. I know that the work that I did is real because you've come to faith in Christ. And you have a love for Christ. And you have a love for other people. And that's the evidence of this conversion. And then I also know of your faith in Christ, that you have walked faithfully with your belief in him. That's why he's thankful. I thank God and I remember you in my prayers because I've heard of your love, I've heard of your faith for both Jesus and for the brothers around you. And then he says this, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective This is really fascinating, guys. So if you've lost me a little bit, come on back, all right? I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is what he's saying. It might sound a little confusing, but this is really powerful. He's praying that the sharing of their faith might be effective. And it might be effective as you understand with greater knowledge. Now get this. That every, and what does every mean? Every, okay? That every good thing that is in you has come from Christ. What he's saying is, I'm praying that your faith will become more effective as you begin to understand even more and more deeply that every last good thing in your life has come from Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that this morning, that every last good thing in your life, every good thing in your life 
including salvation, including all the spiritual things, but all of the good things that have come to you in your life are from Christ Jesus. And he's saying, when you grip that and when you grasp that to its full depth, that's going to impact how you share your faith. Now, this is really powerful. To the extent that we fully understand what Christ has done for us, to the extent that we understand the full blessings that he has given us, to the extent the sharing of our faith will be effective, to that extent. If we're in a place where we just say, oh, Jesus is kind of cool. I appreciate that he died for me, but I got other things to think about. Or he's blessed me with a few good things, but there's been some hard things, and I'm not very happy about that, and I think he could have blessed me a little bit better and a little bit more then the sharing of our faith is going to have that same passion. The sharing of our faith is going to be like, you know, Jesus is great and stuff. But if I come to the full understanding of all of the gifts that he's given me, I got a grandson coming. Man, that is so awesome. It's my first one. I still don't think I'm old enough to have a grandson, but I know that I am, obviously. (laughs) That's a gift, a gift from God that I don't deserve. I've got salvation, right? We talk about all those things. What an awesome gift. I have been forgiven of all my sins and all the ones coming in the future. What an awesome gift. I've been blessed in so many ways. All of those are from God. All of those are from Jesus Christ. And when I come to the full knowledge and the full understanding of all the blessing, I can't help but want to tell other people about that. I can't help but want to say, guess what? This mess over here guess what Jesus can do? I can tell you that because I've seen what he's done in my life. Now, I'm doing my applications as we go along. Usually I do them at the end. I'm going to do them as I go along today. And here's a little shameless pitch for um, getting our weekly email because we don't have them up in the PowerPoint today. So if you want to have a recap of the sermon, I just invite you to take the little end of your bulletin that says prayer requests in the back and just write a weekly email on it and toss it in the offering plate with your email and you'll get a recap of the sermon as well as um, just some announcements that we have going on. Now here's the application I have for you from this first part. I'm going to invite you to spend some time studying what the Bible says about every good thing. Every good thing that we receive from Christ. I'm going to invite you that you would spend some time to grow in the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That you would study the scripture and look, what are those good things, so that you're passionate about wanting other people to experience those good things. And then he says this, verse 7, for I have derived, listen now, this is the Apostle Paul, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love. Listen, Philemon, I've derived and I've received a lot of joy and comfort from your love, my brother. There he is again, calling him brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I've I've received joy and comfort from you because of what Christ has done in you. And the saints have been refreshed through you. What a picture. I've derived joy and comfort and love. And the saints are refreshed by this joy and comfort and love that you've been showing them. Instead of discouragement and confusion and havoc, which sometimes we bring into the lives of other people, Philemon is bringing the opposite, joy and comfort and love. All right, I'm meddling here a little bit now. 
Here's my application from this little section. Is that what your brothers and sisters would say about you? That because of your love for them, their hearts derive much joy and comfort? This is really important, you guys, and we live in a culture that is not very good at this, but self-awareness is something that we think we have, but we often don't. The ability to stop and really ask ourselves hard questions about ourselves, hard questions about how we impact other people, hard questions about how people receive us. I've been around, like you know, hair color tells that, and... I've seen all sides of it, right? Let me ask you that again. Is that what your brothers and sisters would say about you? When you send a text, do they go, oh, sweet. I get a text. I'm going to see what they're saying because I derive joy and love and comfort whenever my friend reaches out to me. When they get an email, when you send an email, how is it received? When, when that phone call comes up on a phone, oh, I don't want to talk to them today. Why? because they usually aren't bringing joy and comfort and love and refreshment? Or are you the person that, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because they bring joy, comfort, love, and refreshment for the saints. Listen, we need to be people of, who are self-aware and able to look at ourselves and say, how do I impact those around me? Am I a person that is bringing the love and joy and comfort that I've experienced from Christ to those around me. So my application for this part is simply to ask you to consider that. Is that what your brothers and sisters would say about you? That because of your love for them, their hearts derive much joy and comfort. Isn't that awesome to think that we can have that? And we should have that? I'm going to invite you just to examine yourself. Do some self-reflection. And ask yourself, is that how it is for those around you? That because of your love for them, their hearts derive joy and comfort whenever you interact with them and reach out to them. Now, here's a big, sharp transition Paul is going to do. He's saying all that. He's laying that groundwork. He's affirming who they are and all the wonderful things that Christ is doing in their life. And he transitions and he says, because all of that is true in your life, Philemon, because all the things we just talked about are real in your life, this is how it needs to apply in the real world. So he's saying, this is happening, this transformation is going on, now let's get down to the real world and how this needs to apply in a situation that's real right in front of you. And Paul is going to turn the cultural norm of the day upside down. And he's going to say that the man who was your slave is now your brother so he can no longer be seen or treated like a slave. And this is pictures turning the culture upside down. A culture in a world, like I said, where Christianity didn't exist yet in its full strength, and slavery was common, and they had no moral problem with it. It was a cultural norm. There was no counter-cultural ethical teaching that would question it. And in this context, Paul is saying, Philemon, you're supposed to, you're supposed to receive back Onesimus as a brother, as an equal. Why? Because in Christ, there's no longer slave or free. Get this. In Christ, there's only brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? In Christ, throughout all of the world, there is only brothers and sisters. And Paul is saying, I'm sending back your brother. And you have to see him like a brother. 
And then he says this in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ. Listen, this is what he's saying. Now, how the transforming power of the gospel looks in the real, actual world, in a real situation. He's saying, and because I'm an apostle, I could command you this. He had the authority to command him, but he says, but because of the powerful work of Christ that we just saw in the first seven verses, this is really important now, so track with me. Because of the powerful work that Christ was doing in the first seven verses, he's saying, I'm not going to command you. I I want you to see what Christ is doing in your life. And I want you to extend this because of what the Spirit is doing. Because of the powerful work that Christ is doing in your life, I want you to see that it needs to be extended in this situation that that is a real-world, real-time situation. Philemon, I want you to make the connection that, listen to this now, that every good and perfect gift that you've experienced and received is from the hand of a merciful and gracious God. And if you've received good and perfect gifts extended from the merciful and gracious God, which you don't deserve, Philemon, you need to extend that same mercy and grace to others, and in this case, to Onesimus. That's why Paul says, I don't command you, I could, But I want you to see the work that Christ has been doing in your life. And that extends to this very difficult countercultural relationship and situation. And he says, I appeal to you, verse 10. I appeal to you for my child. Now he's using family language again. My child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He intercedes for his spiritual son, Onesimus. He says, I become a father to him. And this is how I want you to try to understand this and see this, Philemon. And he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. He was useless because he ran away. Now he's coming back as a brother and can be useful for the work of the gospel. And then he says this, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, verse 12. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. He's been a good brother. I wish he would just stay here. But, verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I would have preferred to keep him, and I want you to know the depth of my love for him, but I respect who you are, and I want you, this is is the key, I want you to see the work that Christ is doing in you by letting the Spirit work this out. Now, if you've lost me, this is really important, and I hope you get this. I'm going to share this story with you. Some of you have heard some of these stories, and I apologize, but my personal stories are what I got, right, to to be able to share with you. But I was in a church situation one time that was really serious, and there were some serious things that were going on, some serious things in which my family, even some of our safety was in jeopardy. And so that's pretty intense, pretty serious stuff. And for a long time, there were parts of it that you just were like, Lord, I just want justice. I just want you to do justice. And then one day, one day I sat there and I realized whenever I sinned against somebody, I always prayed for mercy. I never asked God to show me justice, did I? I always prayed for his mercy. And then the Lord did this work in me that I can't explain other than the Holy Spirit where I was able to stop and actually begin sincerely and with pure motive and heart, 
pray that God would be merciful to them. To, to pray that instead of judgment and justice, Lord, would you be merciful to them? Would you work in their heart in such a way that they would change and turn? Now, why I share that story with you, that didn't happen because I was a good guy. Why this is part of this story here, that happened so that the Holy Spirit could show me that he was indeed working in me. Those moments were special and pure moments where I sat there and said, oh my gosh, I'm not praying this because I'm somehow such a great guy, because I'm not. I've been praying for justice for a long time. And that looked certain ways, <laughs> what that justice looked like in my head. But I realized that the spirit of the living God had been working in my heart to a place where I could say, sincerely and truthfully, Lord, would you show them mercy? Would you show them grace? Would you somehow take these hearts that were hard and bitter and would you change them? And it was a beautiful place to be and it was a beautiful place to see that that was God working in me. See, what Paul is saying to Onesimus, and this is, I, I pray that you'll take this away today with you. What Paul is saying to, to to um, Philemon, excuse me, is that Philemon, I want you to experience the work of Christ in your life so that when you restore this brother, this man now is a brother, you won't do it because I, Paul, told you to. I knew that the Bible said I should be wanting to see mercy for these people. That's not the point. I knew what it said. It was the power of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ to help me to actually do it. So Paul's saying, I could command you and you could do the right thing, or I could invite you to let the Spirit empower you in such a transforming way that you could do something that the culture can't understand and you receive this man back as your brother. And he wants Paul, he, he wants Philemon to be stunned. I was stunned that day. I was stunned by the work of the gospel in my own life. Like, this stuff is real. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, because there's no way I would feel this way about these people without that. So Paul wants Philemon to be stunned by the work of the Spirit in his life. He wants him to be stunned that the work of the Spirit would cause him to see Onesimus now as his brother. I mean, see how big of a deal this is. Not under compulsion and command. Because this is what the gospel looks like. And so verse 15, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you in the first place, Paul says, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This might be part of why this happened in the first place, so that you might not have been able to see him as your brother if he had come to faith in your household as your slave. But now all this has happened so that maybe you can now see him as a brother. And you can see him not only as a brother, but a beloved brother, and equal to you, both in the spirit and in the flesh. Here's my third application for you this morning. Who are you having a hard time seeing as a beloved brother or sister? Paul, through this letter, is inviting you and I to see our brothers and sisters as beloved brothers and sisters. 
and to put aside those things that have separated us and see one another as beloved brothers and sisters. And he says, this might be why this has even happened, why this tension even has happened. Can you imagine that maybe there's been some situation in your life has happened in such a way so that you could see the work of the Spirit of God in your life? So that you could say, like I was able to say, wow, I actually truthfully want to see you show mercy to these people who have hurt me. And I can't explain that in any other way than saying that's the work of the Spirit in me. That's what Paul wants Philemon to say. That's what I invite you to see. Who are you having a hard time seeing as a brother or sister in Christ? And then let the power of the gospel help change that. All right, we're going to wrap up quick with these final verses. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. As you've received me, that's how you should see um, Onesimus as he comes back to you. If he's wronged you at all, but this is important, so don't lose me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay to say nothing of you owing me your very self. Here's what's happening here. We're getting one last picture of the gospel one more powerful picture. If he's wronged you and owes you, I will pay the price. Even though I've done nothing wrong and you essentially owe me, I'll pay the price for his transgressions. Who does that sound like? Who does that? Jesus Christ does that. The one who did no wrong, enduring the wrong of the cross, and had our wrong charged to his account. And so, in fact, we owe him everything, yet we receive grace and mercy for free. So Paul is saying to Philemon, and now to me, and now all these years later to you, put your name in it. If that is what you have received, then that's what you should offer others. If your sin has been placed on Christ, the one who did no wrong, and he endured the cross for you, and he had done no wrong, and your wrong is charged to his account, and then you've received grace and mercy for free, that's what you should be extending to others, the same things that you have received. And then he goes on to say this, yes, brothers, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I'll graciously be given to you. He closes with the positive. He calls them brothers again, and he prays a blessing on them. And he says, refresh my heart. You have the opportunity to refresh my heart. And he goes, I know that you're going to do even more than what I'm saying because the Spirit is at work in you. And the Spirit is going to give you even more. And you're going to do the right thing. And guess what? He says, I know that Philemon, I know Philemon, that you're going to do even more than I ask because that Spirit that is at work in you is going to take you even beyond what I said. Because I'm confident of the work of Christ in you. And then he finishes up, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, and he points out again, listen, none of these things should be lost. He's reminding him, don't forget, I am in prison. Get this now, follow this. Greeting from prison, he's saying, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you. So does Mark, Archidus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Listen, he's saying, I'm greeting you from prison. Remember, Philemon, you're free. I'm in prison even your freedom is the gracious and merciful God. You've been graciously and mercifully spared from prison, and I'm sitting in prison, Paul's saying. 
Remember every good and perfect gift is from above, so graciously and mercifully spare Onesimus from what could be the outcome of him coming back to you. In that culture, Onesimus could be put in prison, he could have been killed, all kinds of things could have happened to him. Paul says, don't forget, I'm writing to you from prison. You're not in prison. Show the same grace and mercy to this man that I'm sending back to you. All right, so how do I want to close today? We've been calling it my pastoral burden. When you're preaching a message and you're putting a message together, you have a burden that the Spirit puts on you. And I have these five things that are my pastoral burden for you today. First, that this book reminds us that we're laying the groundwork for the idea that owning another human being is intolerable. But now, I want to take it one step farther, treating someone as if you own them is not consistent with the gospel. So in a world where we think that we have done away with slavery, there is still a lot of human trafficking and slavery happening around the world. That should be intolerable for followers of Jesus. But then treating someone as if you own them is also inconsistent with the gospel. Slavery, human trafficking, but even employees, someone who works in the service industry where you're doing business with them and you treat them as if you somehow own them or if you somehow have power over them. A spouse or your children domineering, controlling, thinking that you own them and can control them, that's intolerable when it comes to the gospel. Because they're brothers and sisters. If they're not brothers and sisters in Christ, they're at least brothers and sisters being human, created in the image of God. So second, reconciliation matters to God and the church and to the furthering of the gospel that we're reconciled to God and to one another matters. It matters. So here's my final three things for you. If you've wronged or sinned, if you have been wronged or sinned against, seek reconciliation and forgiveness as much as it relies on you and offer grace and mercy. If you've been wronged or sinned against, seek reconciliation and forgiveness as much as it relies on you. Offer grace and mercy. If you've wronged someone, when the Holy Spirit or a brother or sister in Christ brings that to your attention, do what is necessary to make it right. Pay the debt. Seek grace and mercy. Onesimus was going to go back and pay whatever was required to reconcile. Go and seek grace and mercy from another and rely on God. They may not be gracious and merciful to you, but as much as it relies on you, you go and do the right thing and reconcile. And finally, if you're called to speak into the lives of people who are in conflict, where conflict has occurred, the only hope of reconciliation is pointing them to the gospel. Not going to reconcile on their own. Sinners who have been extended grace and mercy through the suffering and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus are therefore reconciled with God and then should produce the fruit of reconciliation with one another as we extend grace and mercy to one another, remembering what Christ paid on our behalf. That my sin my junk, my treatment of him were placed on him. And guess what he did? I got mercy, I got grace, I got forgiveness. Oh, you know what happened too? The next day, I did it again. And a year later, I did it again. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened in that year. Tomorrow, I'm going to do it again. Whatever that is, I'm going to sin. And he's going to say, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Here it is again.
I need the gospel every day. So then, once I see it every day, I need to extend it every day to those around me. 